All right, very good. Well, let's get into our uh, study for today. We're still uh, kind of working through the material on what does it mean to live the abundant life? What does it mean to live the blessed life? And we're thinking about blessedness uh, beyond just the idea of uh, the Beatitudes in, in, uh, in Matthew 5. And so we're actually using the book of James to be the sort of foundation of, uh, of talking about the blessed life, but we're also looking at it through the lens of what that means. So what we covered last week, I got a, a couple of uh, corrections here. Last week, I mentioned that the author of the book of James was, was uh, one of the sons of Zebedee, but actually, uh, it's actually thought to be Jesus's half-brother. So Jesus had a, he had brothers and sisters, which is not universally accepted. So if you talk to a Roman Catholic, they will say, no, Mary was a, a perpetual virgin. So she never had any other children after, uh, after Jesus. But the scriptures are pretty clear about it. They point out the, uh, this reference where um, Jesus is, is preaching and teaching, and then his, uh, somebody comes up and says, hey, your brother and your sisters are here. So it's like, uh, you know, that uh, is a pretty, a pretty obvious and specific reference. So anyway, that's who's thought to be the, uh, the true author of the uh, letter of James. Another uh, little moment that we talked about was this quote, life has a way of boiling down to the narrow space. We talked about this whole thing, I'm glad it's still up on the board, um, that all of life and the changes that, uh, uh, that we deal with in life, many of which are we know about ahead of time, but there's a lot of them that happen, and it's like, boom, it's right in front of your face. What are you going to do with it? That what happens is life has a way of boiling down to the narrow place, and then it's you're standing there in the narrow place, and the beauty of it is, is that there stands Jesus right there in the narrow. And that's what it's really the presence of Christ that allows us to go through life or enables us to go through life with uh, perseverance. And that's uh, one of the aspects of, uh, of this blessed life that we have. Perseverance or another way of looking at perseverance. And this, somebody brought this to my mind uh, or brought this to my attention after class last week. Um, is that another way to think about per, uh, uh, perseverance is being preserved. The, the di it's, it's a good difference. It really is a good difference to think about, is that when you think about persevering, that usually the, the, the emphasis is on whatever you have to do in order to stay strong, right? Whatever you have to do to be the, the one who is... Um, resilient, the one who's bouncing back, the one who is is not uh, uh, crushed by whatever it is that has happened to you. But when you take when you put in the the passive tense, which is being preserved, then it really gets to the heart of the idea that it's really God's strength and it's God who's doing that in us. It's not really something that we are doing ourselves. So I really like that 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 if you think of uh, perseverance or being preserved is an act of God's grace on us, and it's not something that we could muster on our own. Now, we can derail it, and that's the other part of it, is that 
that uh, the, the, the sense of our free will and the fact that we have this uh, difficulty with pride, oftentimes we say, well, I don't, you know, I can do this myself. I don't need what God has to offer. And so then we get crushed, of course, but, but it's really God's grace in us and upon us that is that which preserves us. Um, and I, I, I thought to myself, where have I seen that before? And so I went back in the catechism of all places. And in the cat, how many of you remember the catechism? Do you have, okay, somebody, some of you remember it. Oh, this is so good. Oh, and then how many of you had the blue catechism? The blue catechism. They don't have the blue catechism anymore. They have the, uh, what color is that color? That, is, yeah, maroon. Yeah, I, I went through it. I, I thought, I'm going to go back to the old catechism. That was way better. And I don't know what they had before that. Maybe it was in German, I suppose. But anyway, the, the meaning, the, uh, first, the meaning of the first article of the Apostles' Creed says, uses the phrase that he guards and protects us from all evil. That's what this is, right? That's that preserving that God does is not something that we have the strength to do. We probably had the strength for, to do it for like two seconds, but God can do it throughout your whole life, and that's the beauty of that. Then we talked about sideways gazing. Remember this? He talked about that in James, this, uh, this double-minded person who's, who's not spending enough time or enough energy looking toward God, thinking about God, but instead looking back, back and forth, back and forth at what's happening in other people's lives and then comparing what's happening in other people's lives to what's happening in, in hers, his or her own life. And so what, what happens is that gazing inevitably dis, uh, results in a kind of prideful comparing ourselves to others. So it's either the result of it is that we look around at other people or other situations and we are filled with envy because they have more than we do. That's one outcome that we often will lead to. Or the feeling that we have it better than other people and that somehow then that makes us better than others. And so you can see where uh, the sideways gazing, the double-minded uh, person, as James talks about, can lead to nothing, uh, nothing good. And then finally, we obstruct the work of perseverance. So remember that last part of James said, let, let perseverance or let being preserved finish its work, which is a really neat way to think about it, that it has a work to do in us and that the work that it does is that it grows us into a greater spiritual and faith-filled maturity of life. But sometimes we can obstruct that work by either prematurely avoiding it, uh, self-medicating, which is very popular today, um, or rescuing others from the trials of many kinds. So how many of you are familiar with the term helicoptering? <laughs> That's right. Yeah. So it's, now there's different ones now. If you live uh, in Minnesota, it's snow plowing. Okay. <laughs> if you do that. And then another one I ran across was kind of the lawn mowing. So it's kind of the same idea that, that uh, when somebody is struggling with something, what you do is you jump in and you rescue them from that by making the way smooth for them, and then they can follow in your footsteps, so to speak, or in your uh, snowplow path. Um, but whatever it is, that you're, you're making the road easier for somebody rather than helping that person be strong enough 
to handle the road themselves, okay? And in that sense, that is sometimes the way that uh, we obstruct the work of perseverance or the work of preserving, okay? Does that make sense? So anyway, those are some things that we uh, talked about. And so now we're back in James, and we talk now about this idea of blessedness in action, okay, James 1. He says, believers in humble circumstances ought to take pride in their high position, but the rich should take pride in their humiliation since they will pass away like a wildflower. For the sun rises with scorching heat and withers the plant. Its, blossoms fall, its blossom falls and its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich will fade away even while they go about their business. Now, what is it about the rich that the Bible just seems to have it in for the rich? I mean, what is, what's, the, what's, the, what's the deal with that? Because there's tons of, of scripture in Old Testament, New Testament, and then even in particular Jesus himself, where he's really talking about the perils of, of wealth. Okay, the perils of wealth. So what, what, what do you think? What, what's, what's the deal? What's, what, why, would, why would having a, a lot of material blessing or, or possessions, why would that be any more of a, a danger, I suppose, than if you didn't have anything at all? Yeah, Sharon and then Amanda. It, it tends to become your God take the place of your direction. How would it, yeah, so how would that happen? I mean, again, I'm thinking, couldn't that happen to anybody? I mean, if you if you didn't have anything, couldn't you make that your God where you say, well, I don't have anything, and so I'm just going to roll up in a ball and die or something? I mean, is that, could it be? It could be, but I think that um, it's much easier when you gain a certain kind of pride over accumulation and then you want more? Okay. Led into putting more focus on that. That's a good point. Yeah. Have any of you reached enough yet? <laughs> Do you know what you know what I'm talking about? Where you would say, okay, I have enough. Right? I've reached that. Hey, for those of you that have, what did that what does that feel like? I'm not there yet. But what what is what is that? Is it are you content? Are you, you, were you, now, I know that some of us say enough is enough, but I don't think we quite mean that. All right. I, I think that's a different level of enough. Yeah, Amanda. Uh, similar hearts, like the, the, the riches of the wealth, and then you start patting yourself on the back, and it becomes like, and look what I've done. Yeah. But I also don't think it's speaking to every rich person. Just like not every poor person is focused on the right thing. It's more of the, you know, like the Bible says, the wrong, this is like, yeah. If you get too focused on this stuff, yeah. I think it's Romans 8 talks about if you focus on living in the flesh, yeah. not things in the spirit, sure. then your fruit of the spirit kind of reflects that. So it's, it's, I think it means something bigger than just... just yeah, he, I, he's, I don't think he's condemning every wealthy person. I don't think he's doing that. But I do think he's probably talking about, to some degree in that day and age, where the wealthy had all the privilege and all the rights and the poor had nothing, and I don't think there was a middle class. Was there a middle class? Some of you that would know. I don't think there was. So it was either you had it or you didn't have it. You know. Yeah. 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 Well, I know. Yeah. 
Sure. Okay, yeah, Keith. It's like a precursor for praying for patients. Praying for patients? We don't do that in this class, by the way. We don't pray for patients. <laughs> yeah. I mean, what is it about having a lot that it can really actually um, consume your life to keep all that you have? and to keep others, maybe the government, one of them, but just others from stealing it or taking it or uh, absconding with it in some way. I mean, there is, a, there is a kind of a demand that having a lot makes on you that you have to somehow take care of it, which is good stewardship to take care of it, right? But it, but it does become the priority of it to keep it in the way that you have it. Yeah, Richard. Well, I mean, I, I guess you've thrown out about three things here. So of course. Oh, yeah, just pick one. Yeah. <laughs> but I think I kind of feel like having enough mm -hmm. is, is being content with where God has you at this moment. Mm -hmm. It's not measured by money or. Yeah, that's how I like that. Or whatever. Mm -hmm. It's like, you know. It's, it's doing that mindset of abundance. Yeah. God has richly blessed me. Yes. I, and I will definitely... And I am blessed, that. right, yeah. I am definitely sure of that. Sure. Okay, so do I have enough? Yeah, I have enough yeah. because I have what God's entrusted with me with right now. Right. You know, yeah. next week he may entrust me with five more million dollars mm -hmm. or, you know... $300,000 less. Yeah. I don't know. Okay. Well, we hope it's the former and not the latter. Yeah. yeah. Kathy. I have that. You know that song? Yeah. Uh, where it's hard to be humble when you're perfect in every way. Oh, I know that one. I love that song. <laughs> I think when people, you got to be careful. Yeah. How does abundance, yeah. it becomes like, look what I have. Yeah. Opposed to mm -hmm. making you for right. letting us be in this, this circumstance. Mm -hmm. I think that happens with people. Not everybody, when yeah. they start acquiring things, they begin to like, I did this all by myself. It's easy to go there. It sure is. Yeah. yeah. You know, probably had mm -hmm. help along the way, but then they forget it. And that's the thing that's pride. Yeah. Call. I think the other aspect of that is how much easier it is to be um, selfish with it, to not be generous. You know, when you think of it as something that you own, that you have on your own acquired, right? That as opposed to a gift from God, then it's easy to be more possessive of it and not think of it as that maybe part of why God blessed me with it is so that then I can be a blessing to somebody else in a proportionate way. So, you know, lots of, lots of good things to think about. Okay, one more, Eddie, and then we'll move on. Uh-huh. And uh, people usually think, at least in the U.S., that you can become rich by doing hard work. Yeah. And then you will find sooner or later. Yeah. Uh-huh. But throughout history, most people were thinking that the rich are basically using other people, exploiting mm -hmm. other people, or to get their... their special privileges, mm -hmm. like 
the Sun King or, or whatever church sure. they had. Yeah. And that's the way they became Greek. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So and, and and the other aspect is that being Greek is is most of the time is corrupting. It can, yeah. More, it can. I would say that that's probably what the caution is here. So if you, if you look at Matthew 6, we'll pick that up a little bit too, to sort of look at the perspective that Jesus brings to, uh, brings to this whole sense of, of material blessings. He says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and vermin destroy, and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moths and vermin do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be. So remember that that at the end of the day, the thing that matters most to God and Jesus is that where is your heart? Where that it's really all about our heart. And so heart is another word for your faith and and your uh, sense of, of devotion and loyalty and priority and all those kinds of things that go along with trusting in Jesus as Savior and Lord. That's the bottom line as far as, as God is concerned. Because at the end of the day, when, when we're standing before the judgment seat of Christ uh, and the separation takes place in terms of sheep and goats, it's on the basis of your faith and trust in Jesus, not on the basis of how wealthy you were or or even how poor you were. It's not, it's not going to be based on what the world says is the way that we divide people, the way that we celebrate people, the way that we notice people. You know, when people have a lot of money or a lot of uh, wealth and that kind of thing, they have celebrity status, okay? It, it just, I don't know what quite what to do with it when I, when I read um, you know, scanning maybe the internet in some ways, and you, and you read about these pictures of these lavish vacations that celebrities are taking to celebrate Christmas. And I'm thinking, I'd love to see a, cel a, a celebrity in church on, and somebody take a picture of that. It's just, it just it seems like that the, 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 uh, the message that's being sent is, is that if you really want to be somebody in this world, uh, and you want to be somebody listened to and taken, uh, take it seriously on some level, is that you have to gain more and more celebrity and whatever it is that goes with that, uh, certainly in being noticed. But hardly ever is anybody who's very poor noticed. I mean, that hits every single one of us. Because how many times do you drive by somebody who's standing at the corner with one of those I need help cards and you can barely look at them, right? You can barely do it because it's very painful to do that. And because there's so many of those folks that are in the in dire straits that um, it's like, oh my gosh, what, what, what do I have to offer? So you don't even notice the person. Have you run into that? Yeah, see that hits every one of us in a, in I think in a very profound place. So what Jesus is saying, he's saying, whatever it is that you treasure, and, and think of that word treasure, because that means that that thing or that person or whatever it is that you're looking at has the highest value in your life. That's what, when we treasure stuff, that's what, that's what that is. And he's saying, well, okay, be mindful of what you treasure, because what you treasure is where you're going to put your heart. Um, 
And so the, just a little question there that I have for you is that the heart of your security is directly connected to your treasure. And so in what treasure do you feel that you could not live without? There's so many things that we think, oh my gosh, if I lost that, I would just die. Oh my gosh, if I didn't have this or that, I don't know what I would do. And we think, oh, I couldn't live without it. And then all of a sudden you'll have some, some issue or something that happens in your life that directly um, hits that or takes it away. And you'll think, oh, I didn't die. But it's just an amazing sort of way that God has different ways, I think, in life of sort of helping us understand what really matters and what is it that really is important and what is it that we need to treasure and put our heart in. Okay, well, then he goes on in verse 22. He says, the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, then your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? All right. So the truth here is, the question for us to think about is, what are you eyeing these days? Kind of a good question, isn't it, huh? What, do you, what is it that you're shooting for? What is it that, that you're thinking to yourself, okay, if I can just reach that level, if I can just get there, I'm really going to have, I'm going to be set. I'll be, things will be going great for me and my life will be great. So what are you eyeing these days? Uh, are you eyeing in the light? Are you eyeing in the darkness? Okay, and the way to think about it is your your eye leads your brain, and in what thoughts fill your mind and in your body, what choices you make. So the eye is a really important thing. Um, people that struggle with, uh, for example, with uh, uh, sexual difficulties, with uh, pornography and that kind of thing, have to constantly guard their eyes. That's a phrase that we use a lot. Because it, where the eye leads or where the eye goes, then the thoughts follow. So to break that, uh, that habit, to break that, uh, that pattern, is that person has to really prepare himself or herself, it's not just men, have to prepare themselves for what happens if they go into a social setting or some setting where there might be some uh, triggering that would go on. So this is, this is a real thing. Okay. So it has to do with, again, where your focus is, where your emphasis is. That's where it's going to, uh, going to lead you. He says, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and mammon. So what mammon is, is the spirit of devotion, to the acquiring of and the and the retaining of material possession. That's what that that's what mammon is about. Okay, and so both God and mammon demand exclusive attention. The difference is that mammon promises security, but it can't deliver. Ultimately, worry is its gift because it breeds a focus on scarcity. When when a person gives their life over. To that what their life is totally about is the acquisition of security based on material blessings. Um, it can't, it, it'll, it'll never be enough. Because that basic uh, insecurity that we all have inside of us of, oh, is it, is it enough, is it enough, will eventually um, 
arise up within us. Yeah, Max. So don't you think our culture and society breeds that in us from the time, you know, we're kids and we're going through education, achieve more and more and more, get to the college of your choice, go to Harvard or whatever, you know. Not anymore, by the way. I'm not. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, I realize that name. Stanford, I don't know. Yeah, sure. Uh, in. Yeah. Uh, oh, there you go. Hey, front row here. You you got a few votes up here. Yeah, uh, yeah. But yeah, and then there we are in that trap, you know, that uh, we we think we're betraying ourselves and our families if we don't achieve that. Yeah. Well, it just it. I think that part of it too is that when you get out in the workforce. Um, and this can happen in church workforce or as well as like other workforce, is that the thought is is that if you work longer and harder, um, then you'll be rewarded in whatever way that people want to reward you or what is ever the corporate um, sort of scale for, for reward. But the problem is is that the higher you go, so to speak, and those of you that have been in corporate world know this too, is is the higher the level you go, the more is ex expected from you. And that means that somewhere, somebody or some uh, entity in your life is probably going to have to take a back seat to whatever it is that you want. So there's a lot of, lot of guys that I've talked to, younger guys over the, over the years, that um, when they got out of college, they went immediately into workforce and they were on a trajectory to take them to whatever the sea level was or whatever the level was that they, they wanted to achieve not thinking about the price tag that that the toll that it takes on you relationally but they were okay with doing it because they were single and they were unattached well then they met somebody and and they got um you know uh, engaged or got married and and so then you have a family well you're still on that trajectory and you're still thinking i got to get there and what they discovered the hard way was was that their business didn't care about them the business didn't care about what the effect is having on your personal life and your family life in order to achieve that. The basic idea was, well, if you want to achieve this with our company, they have to sacrifice. And so that's the dilemma, isn't it? That And so a lot of people end up um, saying no to relationships and family and marriage, etc., because it's to some degree required by the company, I suppose you could say it that way. But there's also an inner drive that, that we all have that says, I want to be the one there. So it's not just imposed on you. It's also you're, you're kind of making that choice. There's only 24 hours in a the day. There's only you know seven days a week. I mean, six days a week, I guess. But it's just, it's just that dilemma that a lot of people end up finding find themselves in. So great point. Yeah, uh, Donna. I think the, the inner drive is maybe to get to the next level yeah. when you're a married person uh -huh. you start having kids yeah not only is it just getting to the next level that puts on the wayside but it's also i think a lot of if it's men or whatever but i think you think you're providing for my family yeah so you strive even more to get to that point where the family's kind of sitting on the wayside I know. because yeah. you're trying to get to the point to provide long term for your family yeah it, it there is a little bit of a it's a little bit of a trap, mm -hmm. I think, because what the family needs and what the family wants, we get those confused. 
And, and, you know, as a parent, I mean, who wants to be the parent that didn't pull the rabbit out of the hat for their kids on Christmas? You know, it's just, that you, but that, again, most of that is that sideways thinking, isn't it? You think in terms of, well, what's, what's the guy next door to me doing and what's the family down the street doing? And then after Christmas, all their kids are out in the street playing with their new stuff and your kid gets the uh, rock in the sack, you know, so to speak. So. Yeah, I mean, that's, they're talking about peer pressure. Boy, there, there it really is. Yeah, Daddy. This no uh, one can serve two masters. Doesn't really apply to God and grandmother. But also, the choice between God and no God. Between God and no God? Yeah. So, I mean, I'm not in a communist system. Right. You have to make the choice yeah. to enjoy the communist party, to become an atheist, mm -hmm. or to believe in God and go to church and, and send your kids to religious education mm -hmm. and so on. Mm -hmm. It was a real, it's a real choice. choice that made a big difference in other people's lives. That's right. And unfortunately, the United States is getting closer and closer. To, to have a kind of similar mm -hmm. uh, attitude to other people. Like the attitude, for sure. Yeah. Well, who knows? Maybe next year they, they won't accept anybody who is religious. Yeah, I think it's kind of interesting that the, uh, the biggest uh, Christian university in the U.S., Grand Canyon, is in Phoenix. Mm -hmm. And the government is suing them or going after them, not just legally, but may, maybe criminally. I, and I don't know all this, everything about the, the story of it to say whether they were uh, honest with the money or what, what, all that stuff. But it's just ironic because you think, wow, you know, what's, what's, what's coming next? You know, we got Concordias in our system that are purely church schools and have not, for the most part, given in to the uh, diversity, inclusion, and equity push. And so then what do you do with that? Because you're, you're to some degree, um, uh, impacted by society and the government and all that kind of thing with the government uh, grant money and those kinds of things. But what happens if you come out in your faith statement as a, as a conservative church body school uh, uh, regarding LGBT and all that? That puts us right in the crosshairs. So it's just uh, it's the world that we live in now, and what it reminds us is is that it's not easy to be a Christian, and it's not easy to to stand for something and say I'm gonna here's the line that I'm gonna follow. Here's the place I'm gonna be, and I'm aware that I might get something, some blowback or some pushback on me. So it's a it's a it's a tough thing. So what does Jesus say? He says, therefore, do not worry about your life. Well, that is easy for him to say, you know. <laughs> he is like the Son of God. I mean, really? Hello. Okay. Although. Yeah, although. Although. Yeah, that's right. He had some things to worry about later on, didn't he? Yeah. Do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or your body, or what you will wear, or what you will drive, or where you will live, or the kind of toys you have in your kitchen, or... The fun you have with on vacation, okay? Is not life more than food, the body more than clothes? There's the question. That is the question. Is not life more than fill in the blank? Maybe life is more than security. 
Maybe life is more than being safe. Maybe life is more than having everybody like you. Maybe life is way more than that, Jesus says. But seek first. And by the way, those of you that have something to write with, if you'll put after the word seek, put the uh, uh, suffix ing. For those of you that are grammar nerds, that's what this one says. But seeking first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Just worry about today. Okay, that's all he's saying. Yeah. Seeking. Now, what seeking means is that to seek the, his kingdom and righteousness is not a one-shot deal. It's a daily thing. That, that, that's the pursuit of your life. That the pursuit of your life is to grow closer to God in Jesus, of course, um, to to be in His Word, to be having that be the the lens through which you look at life and you make sense of what goes on around you. And that's that's why we keep in this theme of blessedness is that blessedness is is the condition in which you live. It's not a checking all the boxes in terms of things happening to you. It's not a list of, okay, here's the list, and and because you're blessed, here's all the things that you can count on. It, it isn't that, because you might have none of those things. But what you have is a relationship of faith in Jesus as your Savior and Lord that at the end of your life and at the end of the history of the world, we will spend eternity with him in heaven. That's life. Now, would we like some of the gravy now instead of just having to wait for it at the end? Wouldn't that be great? It'd be wonderful. We'd love it that way. The more gravy you have, the more you can share gravy with others. Even if you don't agree that the only kind of gravy you should have on chicken fried steak is white gravy. Even if, <laughs> even if you don't think that, right? There's hope for you yet. But the point is, is that the more that you do have as a result of the blessedness that you are in, you can be that blessing to somebody else. That's the beauty of that, okay? So he says, go back to James. He says, blessed is the one who perseveres or is preserved. I'm going to use, I'm going to use that interchangeably. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. That's looking ahead to what? Yeah, it's looking to heaven. But it's also saying that because heaven is the thing out there that is our assurance, that makes a difference for us today. That's why today, if you're in the trial, you can still trust that God is with you, that God still is, is loving you, and that you are that blessed person, okay? Um, I think a while back, can't remember how far back it was, um, I, I threw a German word out to you. This is the one German word I know. Well, I know some bad German words, but I'm not going <laughs> to share those with you. But there is a, there is a, a German word that um, Luther used quite a bit, and this is the word. If you want to impress your neighbors sometime, then uh, 
It's almost like you, it's on factor. And it, it, you could almost sneeze and say it, right? It's like that word, all right? So what on factor is, on factor is a particular kind of temptation that the devil throws our way when we are in the midst of this. So it's when you're in the midst of the trials of life, there is a unique, specific kind of temptation that the devil throws our way that it doesn't mean that he doesn't do it any other time, but it's that, that we, are, we have to be particularly mindful of when we're in the trials of life. And one of the, one of the uh, aspects of Anfectum is, is that that's when we are most susceptible to believing the lies that the devil tells us. Because remember what the Bible says about the devil, he is, the, he is a liar and he is the father of lies. So he is like the ultimate inventor. You know, he could probably be a marketing agent. He probably could be that because he paints the picture of something that is so terrible under the surface, but looks so sweet on, uh, on the surface that we would be susceptible to going after it, right? And so that, that, that's the nature of onfectum. So an example of a lie that the devil might tell us, and that sounds awfully good to us because it's like, hello, that makes perfect sense. When we're in this would be that, well, you know, God doesn't really love you. Because if he did, he wouldn't let these things happen to you. And in fact, if you check out your, your heathen neighbor's who never go to church, you always drive by them on Sunday morning, then they're out there drinking coffee on their uh, front porch and, and, and that sort of thing. Um, they don't have the same kind of problems you do. They don't have the same kind of issues that you do. So clearly it must mean that God doesn't, uh, is not a respecter of that, that, that God clearly doesn't care about you, doesn't love, love you the way that he says he does, because if he did, then you wouldn't have to deal with those things. Okay, that's unpacking. Does that resonate with anybody here? Yeah, I mean, see, again, it's, it's the devil would be so happy if we would just, we don't even have to totally reject God and become atheists. I mean, he, that would be his ultimate aim, right? But if, he, if we would just in that moment say, that makes perfect sense. That makes perfect sense. If God really loves me, then my life ought to be better then that's like the slippery slope, isn't it? That he would have us on. That's what I'm affecting is. So that leads us into verse 13, where James says, when tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. And then, desire has con then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin and sin when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Okay, so he says, you know, we're going to be tempted. You could argue that God allows temptation. I mean, obviously, he's allowing the devil to still kind of run free. Now, he's not totally free because the Bible talks about this idea. He's like a mad dog on a chain. You know, he's still restrained, um, but it's kind of it's kind of hard to sort of prove that, like, Wow, if this is what the restrained version of the devil looks like in our world, gosh, what would the unrestrained version of it actually look like? Um, but it, he, does, he does distinguish between temptation and trial. 
So a way to think about temptation is temptation is designed to draw me away from God and trials are designed to pull me toward God. That would be one way that you could sort of distinguish between the two. And so what trials are designed to do is bring about what Paul talks about in Romans 5. He says, not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance or being preserved, uh, produces character and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. And so again, when we're suffering these difficulties or just dealing with life, okay? Um, that's when that infection, we really got to be mindful of that. That's why it's so important and such a good thing when we involve ourselves in the ministry of encouragement, of encouraging others, not saying, oh, it's going to get better, or, oh, silver lining. That's stupid stuff. Don't even say that unless you want to get punched out. Okay. Um, but you can encourage someone in the form of faith. You know, keep, keep uh, encouraging that person that way. The other thing is, is that it's also important, I think, when we are aware of stuff in people's lives that they're dealing with, is that we are praying for them. Now, there's two ways to take that, that phrase, praying for somebody, right? One is you're, you're praying that God would strengthen that person. So you're praying on their behalf. Okay? But the other thing that you're also doing is you're praying for you're praying instead of they are praying. Does it make sense? That, that may have sounded confusing. Um, very often when people are in the throes of this, they don't have the energy to pray. They know they should, but they just can't. Or they're so crushed by what dealing with whatever's happening that it's enough for them just to get out of bed, okay? So when you pray for somebody, what you're actually doing is you're praying where they can't. Does that sound better when I say it that way? Yeah. So yeah, you're doing it for them, but you're also doing it instead of them. And that's the prayers of the, of the body is lifting up a part of the body that is having to deal with just this. And that's about, that's about all they can do. Okay, so that's a, a kind of a neat way to think about that. So last page here. All right, so each person is tempted when they're dragged away. But that is just great imagery, isn't it? It's like kicking and screaming that it's going to take me away from God's word and promises. But what's taking me away is myself. That's my own evil desire. So, so there's that part of me within that says, oh, I don't want to go that way. And the other part says, oh, yes, you do. And so then there's like this, you know, good angel, bad angel on your shoulder, so to speak. But what happens is, is that the evil desire in us seeks to justify whatever the thing is that we're doing when we give in to the temptation. So I just mentioned a few common justifications here. Maybe, maybe you've heard other people say these. I'm sure you never said them yourself. They had it coming. How about that one? If you had a brother, then you know instantly what these are, right? Uh, he started it. How about that one? Yeah. Just think of the good can, you can do if only, right? 
That's a great way to justify uh, doing some bad thing. One little taste won't hurt. Look how far you've come. Now, see, that one hits me because, once again, I'm working on my weight. And so I've, I've really been working hard. Oh, well, I did have a donut this morning, so forget that. <laughs> I, I know they just look so, yeah, donuts look so much better in the box when you're trying to lose weight. It just, I don't know what that is, but uh, yes, I know. I should have I should have cut through the other way to come up here and not even gone past the donut uh, table. I deserve better. How about that one? Here's the best one. Nobody will know, right? Any others? Can you think of any others that maybe you have heard others use? Yes, I'll see. Um, well, I've been good at this. So oh, oh, very good. That's a good one. All right, Eddie? Other people do it? Oh, that's a good one, yeah. Anybody else hear a different one that you heard? Yeah, not that you would have to admit to any of these yourselves. Okay, all right, so then he says, and, and so you can see a progression here. If, it, if it's untamed or if it's un, uh, uncurbed in some way, then what happens is that evil desire has conceived if, if nothing stops it, then it gives birth to sin. And then if you don't stop that sin, then what happens is it gives birth to death. And so giving into the temptation, there is a progression to it. It's not, we're, it's not like we're unaffected. So he's saying we got to bring our egg in. We, if, if I can't catch myself in it, then I need somebody else to help catch me in it. Now, that person is taking a big chance if they come and point out my sin to me. Why are they taking a big chance? <clears throat> yeah, I'm not likely to say thank you, right? Okay, I'm not likely to. In fact, I might push back on you, and that's what we see going on in the world. But we see that, frankly, going on in our day-to-day -day relationships with each other, too. Okay? So, so to be mindful of that, again, is that all of that fits together in this whole idea of blessedness, that, that people that have blessedness, that are in a state of blessedness, this happens to all of us. But the difference is, is that we know that God has not abandoned us. God is still with us, that he is still blessing us to be a blessing to others. And that's the, uh, the message for today. Okay, any closing thoughts before we uh, end? All right, very good. Let's close with prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for our time together today. Thank you for, again, for, uh, for reminding us and, and, and uh, reinforcing in, in us this idea that we're blessed. We already are blessed. That, that comes by virtue of a relationship with you and what you've given to us in your son, Jesus. Help us not take that for granted. Help us not just assume that, oh, okay, we're, we're strong, we're good, we, we can make it in the world, because the world is going after us. And in particular, Satan has a particular interest in drawing us away from you. So help us be there for each other. Help us to, to stay in the word and in the sacrament. Help us to, to not take that for granted. And then each and every day to celebrate with ourselves and with each other the joy we have in you and the joy we look forward to in heaven. Watch over this week, dear Lord, be with us until we meet again. In Jesus' name, amen.